And the other way to invest it is direct investment, meaning that the investor will invest into a, let's just say, a franchise business. So the investment criteria is a little different, especially in the job creation. So in the passive investment, you know, aka the regional center investment structure, the jobs are not W-2 jobs per se. So usually there is economic factor where the economists will insert in terms of the potential jobs that are created or the economic impact that is generated in the in a certain geographical location. So those numbers are computed in based on the project size or the total investment amount of the project. But the direct investment, the investor usually are more active in terms of the management or you know the operational decision. And also the those jobs are W-2 jobs. So you really have to create or keep 10 W-2 person on the payroll. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the passive investing side of it for a moment here um, and just get some clarity around that because you said that they invest in an NCE. So does your company set that up or how does that work and how do investors find these opportunities to be able to invest their capital into something like that? Yeah, sure. So I know it's kind of complicated issue because (laughs) it involves in the private offering, this is SEC offering, and also the investors are always non-US person. So all the money is sourced overseas outside the US. So usually it depends on which market that you penetrate. But for instance, the two biggest market in today's market are China and India. So in China, there are established agencies. So usually the investors will go through the agencies and the agency will help them to place a investment opportunity. And the NCE is created purely for the investment purpose. So it's just basically an LLC. And the LLC will be managed under the regional center. So the regional center will act on behalf of the investors to monitor the, I guess, the actions of the, uh, or operation of the, the JCE, the, the job created entity, which is the developer. So the structure, again, is really through the investor to the NCE and which is sort of acting like a mini bank, or you can think of it as a small fund. The manager is the regional center. And if there's any litigation or any type of there's a litigation, the regional center will act on behalf of the investor because investors do not involve personally and also they're overseas. So that is why the NCE is created. Okay. So then do investors have the ability to choose and to have a say of where their capital is being placed? Or is it a set investment opportunities that's presented to them and then you know they can say yes or no, or there's options for them? Sure. So if the investors are going through the agencies, it uh, really depends on which agencies. So some agencies represent bigger projects. For instance, the Hudson Yard, which is one of the largest projects back then in the EB5 field, and a couple of other projects, which takes up probably 25 to 50% of the market share. So that's one way. And for the smaller projects, it really depends. So some investors definitely has the flexibility in terms of the asset class they prefer and the geographical location that they feel comfortable with. 
But in terms of how to access to the projects, it's just a different story. So it depends on, like I said, which projects the agencies are representing, or maybe the investors sometimes have the personal relationships with the developers or through friends or through recommendations or referrals. So they have, they can definitely choose which projects they want to be participating. So there's been a huge surge that you mentioned about investors looking to place capital from both India and China, which are the two biggest markets. Are there specific markets in the U.S. that they are most interested in investing in? And I know you focus on New York. Um, Is that one of them? And are there other markets as well that they tend to lean towards? Yeah. So for Chinese investors, I think they tend to participate in area that they're more familiar with, or either they heard about the city or they somehow have friends in the city. I think, you know, New York is an international destination. So it definitely has its, its advantages in terms of branding. It's just people heard about it and just learn it from movie or from different sources. But there are other areas such as Miami, LA, or even Texas. Yeah, but in those areas, the projects may be a little different. LA tend to have more hotel projects. And Arizona tend to have more senior housing because it's more of a retirement place. So I think in terms of investors, one is they want to be associated with the place that they're familiar with. And also the asset class is another consideration. Some people feel more comfortable with the cash flowing type of investment like hotel and senior housing, but others prefer condo because they like residences. So that's another consideration. And the third one is, of course, the, the track record. So they will ask everything about the developers' pipeline projects or past experiences in the EV5 space or just the construction and everything have been done properly. So those are, as I would think, the three primary factors. Has there been a more of an increase in the interest in investing in U.S. markets now for real estate or Have you seen from at least international investors, has there also been a bit of a slowdown as well with their interest in investing in real estate here in the U.S.? I would say during the pandemic, we have seen definitely an increasing demand from the overseas buyers. Investors, yes, but we have four buildings that were on sale during the pandemic and one of the buildings were sold out under 10 months, and it was 77 units. And a lot of, uh, I would say, probably 20 to 30% of buyers are coming from overseas. But there are, of course, multi-layers of you know, different reasons. But for us, I'm speaking in New York and new development condo projects specifically, we have seen increasing demand from overseas. And a lot of them are cash buyers, which is an interesting phenomenon. So the New York market, you're in one of the areas that is very well known. It's also known to be a little bit more challenging too in the real estate market as well. It's very known to be having high prices and um, you know certain challenges as well. How do you see the market right now in New York for real estate and development? So New York market is segmented market because you have the Manhattan and then you have the boroughs. So in the city alone, 
the average price in terms of development are usually above $2,000 per square footage. But under that market, you also have different segmentations in terms of the luxury market and the middle market and also the more affordable luxury market. So in terms of the luxury market, which generally $4 million above, we see greater demand during the pandemic, which you know is a little bit unexpected, but also not too unexpected. And those type of buyers usually have relatively strong financials, and they are not greatly impacted by the recent rate increase. So they remain strong. The demand kind of slowed down in the second half of the uh, second half of last year, but the per square footage in general across board hasn't been decreased or affected. Brooklyn and Queens, we see a big surge in terms of demand and the price. I think since last year has increased double digits. There was a little bit of concessions in the first year of the pandemic, but the market has bounced back really quickly. So overall, I think the demand is very strong. I mean, this year, basically, this is still January. (laughs) So uh, in the last few weeks, we see after the holiday, there are more inquiries in the buyer's market. And we got the feedback from the agents at different markets. So in overall, you know, the entire market seems like it's coming back. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So for you, what's your next focus here coming up in this new year? So in the last 12 months, our firm acquired four pieces of land and we still, we like to diversify. So we have one closing in Kips Bay, which is a Midtown East in Manhattan, and then two projects in Queens. Both are very close to Lionel City and uh, we just purchased another land in Brooklyn. So First of all, we like to diversify. And second of all, I think our target buyers are generally young millennials. And we tend to build something that's convenient, comfortable, and also uh, with a community focused. We like to keep the price under $3 million. And I think for us, we would like to provide more efficient layout and make it more affordable for the young couples or young professionals. And uh, in terms of quality, because we have manufacturing capabilities, so we like to customize uh, different layouts and designs and to make the whole space very uh, fluid. So that's sort of what we are focusing on in the next couple of years. And for your investors, especially since you work with quite a few international investors, what's the most important factor for them as they're looking into real estate here in the U.S., and then also communication, working with international investors? 
So for investors, of course, the number have to make sense. So when we design the building or when we cut the floor uh, floor plate, we tend to consider different factors in terms of the size of the unit. So what size generates the most, not the most money, but also like, is it optimal for the investors, but also it makes sense for them to rent it out at the you know maximum value. But also we don't want to make it too um, too small or too inefficient. So that will affect the long-term price or long-term value of the unit. So I think a lot of research was done. And uh, when we explain or present it to the investors, usually we use, of course, our previous product to demonstrate the yield of the investment returns. But when we build the our future products, so in the future, we'll also provide investor in terms of a furnished condo. So they don't have to, it's sort of like hassle-free. So when they, especially sometimes they don't come here, they just, they buy things overseas. They are concerned about, do I have to do, do I have to physically to set everything up? So I think going forward, we'd like to provide the option of uh, delivering a ready-to-move-in type of condo. And we have also incorporated the software in terms of the uh, the property management software so they can see in real time in terms of the rent or any issues or things to be solved. So we'll take care of that as well. So that's how we dealt with the investors. What has typically been, for you at least as you've been working with, what has been like a biggest misconception for international investors looking to get into the U.S. market for the first time? Can you define misconception? I think in terms of expectations for investments or if there was like a common theme that you've typically noticed as you've been talking with mm-hmm. them or, you know, surprises yeah. that they might not have expected as they're looking mm-hmm. to enter into the U.S. market. Mm. Yeah. So entering into the U.S. market, I'm not so sure. But in terms of New York, generally, the typical response is the yield is relatively lower, especially mm-hmm. compared to maybe Texas or Florida. But again, um, a lot of investors focus more on the value. Um, so they they consider uh, the risk-free proje- uh, product. And they think New York is probably one of the places that qualifies in that regard, whether it be true or not. So in terms of the expectations, I think if... The investors are really aggressive. They focus on like very high yield, 8 or 10%. They probably will shop at other states. But if they focus more on the long-term value and also easy to rent, just the, you know, in terms of the vacancy rate, they tend to come to New York, even if it means the return is slightly compromised. And for you, Emily, I'd love to ask too, because you've worked on quite a lot of different projects in real estate. You've spoken across many different stages as well. What is for you personally, like, what do you think has been the biggest contributor to your success in this field? I think a lot of it is, I think it comes a lot through the experience. So if you follow a project, I think one of the advantages to work in a development project is it really involves in different aspects. As soon as the land is acquired, and I'll be working with the architectural firm, the engineer firm, and then you will hear all these professionals given a lot of thoughts into the project. So for the sales, it's already a, develop, uh, you know, a delivered project. It's 
almost too late to change any anything or any bit at all. Uh, but for me, I think I have the privilege to be involved in different aspects and to be able to listen to the professionals and also have the you know weekly or biweekly discussions and to develop product. I think at the end of the day, it will when I present it to the investors or buyers, it helped me to get the story straight because I know the product from the beginning, from the day it was born and all the way until it's completed. So I think you know that's kind of at a value in terms of the uh, investment sales. And how has real estate investing impacted your life, Emily? I think one thing that I notice is it really forces me to think long-term or longer term because in order to complete a project, you will be looking at four years, usually three to four years minimum. And it is you really create something that for the future, because nobody will know what the market is going to be like, you know, three or four years ago. There are so many variables, so many things can happen. So one thing is, you know, it forces you to think for the future. You have to study the trend and so forth. And the other thing is, there's always something, you know, is not going to happen according to the plan. So I think, you know, to be able to adjust and adapt to different situations is another thing that, you know, you have to be mentally prepared and becomes of your daily practice. And what do you think is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wish I know more about the construction because for especially for our projects, when the uh, when we started to launch the sale, and the buyers are sometimes come to the construction site, and a lot of the questions are, you know, they're just thinking on the feet. And you know, as much as I try to understand the structural of the construction, sometimes it's impossible for me to explain how the AC works or you know certain walls or directions. So I think I should probably spend more time on the site and to talk to the construction manager a little more. So that's something that I would probably do. And then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think in order to have all the aspects uh, to run smoothly, you really have to time everything well. I think operation is a big thing for the real estate development because uh, everything has to happen according to the schedule. If it's not, then your budget is going to go overrun. And also the bank loan is going to be, you have to pay longer loans. And ultimately, it will affect the return of the project and for the investor as well. So I think to be able to have a experienced team and also have a reasonable prediction of the market and of your cost and to be able to implement everything on time and efficiently is it has a great impact. Emily, where can I listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yes, sure. So I'm mostly on LinkedIn. So if you Google me Emily Ju or Emily Ju EV5, you can easily find me on LinkedIn. And I post articles, I share you know, update every now and then, usually once a week or, you know, once every other week. Yeah. You can just leave me a message there. Awesome. Emily, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. 
and thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.